Hello, everybody. Uh, welcome back to another episode of Chicanery. I uh, hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving weekend. Um, it is your Thank host, you Danny. Celebrated. Yes, of course. And it is your host, uh, Danny and JT. Hello. So we have uh, the finale of uh, Formula One. It was the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix this past weekend. And we, well, we've got a race to talk about as well as a season to recap. So, of course, we will, before we get into sort of the nitty gritty of the weekend, let's start with the broad blanket question. Good race or not? Honestly, I watched like, I think a little bit of the race. I was once again busy this time like traveling and stuff but i don't know to be honest i don't really care for abu dhabi as like a circuit in general so to me i'm just gonna say like it's it is what it is like in my opinion i i'm gonna say it was a typical f1 race like nothing special about it in my opinion yeah i would be inclined to agree um Honestly, the race itself, I didn't think was particularly interesting. Um, it got a bit tactical at the end, and we will, we'll talk about that. But broadly speaking, I really didn't really think the race was all that great. But before we get to that, I guess we will go through um, sort of the practice and qualifying sessions to sort of get started. You know, so first of all, and this is perhaps not super unexpected. You know, there's been, we've talked about all season, um, about the Red Bulls don't really activate the front tires particularly well, um, get temperature in them, and the track temps were also a bit uh, cooler uh, this Abu Dhabi weekend than we've had in years past. Uh, so the Red Bulls were kind of slow in the free practice sessions. Um, they managed to get the wick turned on for Quali, but for a second there, particularly uh, Q3, where you know Leclerc was all of a tenth, like a tenth and a half, a little less than a tenth and a half back in quality. It was looking like um it was looking like they wouldn't uh wouldn't add pull, but they did. Um you know the you know I say local boy um Logan uh, he actually didn't set a time in uh qualifying at all because he uh, both of his laps got deleted due to track limits uh infringements. Uh, as per usual, it feels like we've been talking about this all year. Uh, the because way we have, it's like it's a never-ending thing. It's always every other circuit F1 goes to. It's going to be like, oh, are we going to have issues with track limits this weekend? I don't know. Up to debate. It, I mean, really practice. It it depends. Like the practice sessions that they have, really, is what determines. Is is this going to be one of those the one of those weekends again? Or are we going to have a normal F1 race weekend? Even though, to be honest, I don't even think there's such thing as a normal F1 race weekend. But anyways. Yeah. And it, well, this case, yeah, it was absolutely not. Uh, track limits was, once again, kind of a thing this weekend. Um, you know, like I said, Logan was scored as no time after the end of Q1. And um, because, you know, of course, being, you know, a dirty American practice sessions and quality sessions for Abu Dhabi are kind of a pain to watch. And I was very confused 
to see uh, Logan roll off uh, dead last, basically, with no time. Um, but it's funny, you know, we talk about, you know, the Red Bulls being a little slow and practice and looking potentially fallible and qualifying, you know, much like they were uh, at Las Vegas um, last episode. Um, much like then, Carlos had a gigantic accident, and I think that was FP2. Uh, now, granted, this was not due to any failings of the circuit, but rather uh, a lapse in uh, talent. But scale issue. Yeah, basically. Yep. And he had a massive incident and free practice and didn't get out of Q1. Um, you know, I don't know how many chassis at this at this point in the season Ferrari had left, but given his complete lack of pace, uh, basically for the entirety of the weekend, I wonder if this was like the backup of the backup car that they were using, because it was just so slow. Um, Lewis was slow, uh, basically all weekend. Um, struggled mightily in quali, um, and didn't really do super well in the race either. But interestingly enough, um, even Lewis himself, I think, said over his radio message after the practice sessions that uh, he noted the two cars had the same setup, but just he couldn't get it to switch on. Um, we've talked about how much of a dog the W14 is. And, well, this weekend, at least for Lewis, was no exception. It feels like it's was one or the other. Um, either Lewis can get the car to work and George can't, or George is quick and Lewis isn't. This car just, W14 just sucks. Honestly, I feel like Mercedes, I don't even know if I can say they've been, like, going downhill because, like, honestly, I don't think they were ever really that great this year. I mean, of course, they had their moments of, like, greatness occasionally, and then they got podiums and stuff. Never really, they're not getting wins, but, I mean, I don't know. I can't say... I can't even say that they fell off because, like, I feel like that's not even the right word to use. Like, they they just weren't even there. I mean, it, it was particularly bad at, like, I don't know what circuit that was. I think it was Brazil where everything just went downhill for them. The race was just horrible for them. But I don't know. They're just – they're a very puzzling team to me. Yeah. Um. Well, so they – Sure, you probably remember um, in 2022 with the W13, um, they looked like, you know, initially that car was not very quick, you know, but they had found some time and some pace as the season went on. And so they thought they had cured the woes of this uh, platform, basically. And then, you know, according to, you know, the the technical directors um, and what have you, they... Um, thought they had made some real ground in the off season with getting this car quick but and you know and i don't believe that the car isn't quicker but everybody else just made much bigger leaps either in the off season um heading into 2023 or just throughout the season i mean we watched you know mclaren has basically since silverstone has really kicked on and has basically been quick all year after that you know, with the exception of Vegas and here, basically. Well, that's because even by uh, Zach Brown's own estimation, the car is a bit draggy. Mm, pardon me. But, um, 
but yeah, no, like I said, W14 has been a dog. Bring on the, um, you know, James Allison is back designing the car. So I'm hoping uh, that, you know, the W15 will be a big step on. Um, and I honestly think that could be potentially the most important car of his career. Um, basically getting Mercedes truly back to the front because, you know, they get podiums, but it always feels like it's through circumstance rather than actual pace. But we'll we'll get to that. I mean, there's that, and then they also probably need to work on, like, their pit stops because whatever has been going on there, like, their pit stops have kind of been awful this whole season. I mean, it's just – and it's, like, it's errors that really shouldn't even be happening, but they do, and it ends up costing them, like, a podium or, like, t- like positions that are, like, pretty valuable in the race. And it's just like, ugh, why would you do this? what like I don't get it I also love how Mercedes is like very uncreative with naming their cars like this year the W14 and the next year the W15 which W meaning wagon which is car in German and just the next number up I I love that I love the dedication to just completely just being uncreative and no imagination at all yeah, yeah, combination of that, and of course, um, you know, that is what, you know, Mercedes named their Grand Prix cars, you know, a million and one years ago. So it's a combination of, yes, heritage, um, you know, heritage, and um, yes, general, yes, lack of creativity otherwise, but, but yeah, but we'll see what happens with that. Um, but also, you know, up front, um, you know, the uh, McLarens, you know, we were just talking about, you know, the form that they've had, you know, basically for two thirds of the year. And that would continue. You know, Lando was chugging uh, on his final quality lap, but he got this gigantic slide coming out of turn 14. I'm actually kind of impressed that he managed to uh, gather that up. Um, because if you look, it was huge. It looks like he was running a little wide and tried to add a little bit of throttle to correct it and then just had this huge slide on the curve. And the curves at Yas Marina are horrendous. Um, and, yeah, and that would result in him being uh, P5 because it really ruins the run basically on that final couple corners uh, onto the straight. But P5 and Oscar qualified uh, P3. It was... Good stuff, genuinely. Um, you know, Lando's lap, even if it was a little slow, is probably one of the more entertaining quality laps I've seen in a little while. But I mean, I think Lando has potential. It's, I mean, he's gone a really long time without getting a win. I mean, people, uh, even earlier today, some people in our group chat for sports car racing were joking about how. Technically, Nikita Mazepin has gotten a win before Lando has, as unfortunate as that is. I mean, obviously, there's probably some questionable stuff in there with Nikita Mazepin more than likely probably being carried by his other co-drivers that he was with. But, I mean, I don't know. I think eventually Lando should get a win pretty soon. I mean, at least McLaren was starting to look pretty good towards the end of the season. Mm-hmm. They have the potential to be competitive and fighting for wins eventually, I think. Like, next season, they should be. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're you're right. Um, and it's funny, you know, to sort of a similar ilk. 
you know, that means, uh, you know, Antonio uh, Giovinazzi has won a championship in a Ferrari before Leclerc has, um, which is very amusing. I mean, yeah. But, um, but yeah, you know, the issue, you know, well, there are a couple of things. Lando does have a bit of a habit of being a little inconsistent on qualifying runs. You know, he's either kind of, uh, well, since it's quality, it's not really win it or bend it, but I guess a qualifying equivalent of such. Um, and, you know, and that means that his, there are a few, I think, you know, definitely this season, there are a few times when he probably should have had pole, but he goofed it and, well, didn't. But also, you know, Lando is an extraordinarily talented uh, Grand Prix driver, but it really sucks when you're sharing this, the grid at the same time as Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen. Like, that sucks. You know, you're talking about, you know, well, now 10 world championships between just the pair of them. And, you know, and up that tally a little bit if um, you count, uh, you know, Fernando Alonso, that you got another two titles there. Um. So it's just like, just the, the depth of talent in, on the grid right now is significant. And unfortunately, I mean, that means somebody loses out. I mean, we saw that during the Schumacher era of uh, domination. Genuinely great drivers that didn't win a ton of races because, well, uh, Schumacher and Ferrari existed. So we'll see. But hoping for, you know, McLaren to do big things next year. Clearly they figured out this this set of aero regs in the car and they've got two great drivers uh we will see what happens um but moving on to the race again not a particularly interesting one i don't think but um you know of course max started on pole and you know and he converted that to a win you know big surprise it's you know what you know this was his like 19th pole and was it like his 16th win of the season or something something silly yeah, point is he won most of the races. Um, I've lost track at this point. Yeah, same. Um, and honestly, I think the tally at this point is purely academic anyway. It's an amusing stat, but doesn't in the broader context of the season doesn't really mean anything given that he locked up the championship months ago and basically single-handedly won the constructors too. So it's just like, okay, whatever. <laughs> but but interestingly enough, uh before uh basically before DRS was turned on, um Charles put him under huge pressure for those first few laps. You know, it was looking like um, Charles might actually fight him for the win. Granted, it didn't quite end up as such, but but the fighting um, did basically it burned up his uh, his uh, left front tire because um, he was. I grumpy. really uh, maybe I should refrain from making this like comparison because I seen it before and it might be beating a dead horse but i just like i just think that is so funny that he burned up his tires because it just like it sounds like another driver that i know that is has a tendency to do the very same thing not naming names but it's just the parallels are kind of killing me here uh, yeah i i see what you mean um yeah, because interestingly enough, yeah, I think it was like lap 12, he complained about the left front tire, uh, and I quote, being a bit hurt. Um, and I mean, he could have genuinely done so. Um, because, you know, as I've already talked about, you know, the Red Bull is not particularly kind to of its front tires, particularly early in a stint. 
Um, it's easy to either not get them in the operating window or just completely cook them trying to push. But but that is curious. I mean, it's unfortunate but Charles doesn't have the same effect that Lewis has whenever he's complaining about his tires, talking about, oh, Bono, my tires are gone. That means he's about to win the fucking race. It's too bad the same effect doesn't happen with Charles. I mean, same thing with, like, you could even say Kyle Busch, too. You, everybody knows that if Kyle Busch was complaining about how bad his car was, that meant that he was going to go on and win the freaking race. It's unfortunate that the same thing does not happen to him. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, you know, Max grumbles, you know, then, yes, you know, he knocks off the fastest lap. You know, Lewis does that, you know, knocks off the fastest lap and or wins the race. And yes, even in NASCAR, you know, when Kyle is angry with the car is when it is probably quickest slash at its best. It's hilarious to see that happen. Um, you know, I would be interesting. I would be interested. Somebody should really, somebody who is much smarter than me should analyze the psychology of that because I think, I think there's a through line that runs in there somewhere, but I am not intelligent enough to be able to discern that. So I will not make those comparisons, but but yeah, so no, he complained, Max complained about his tires on um, lap 12, but ended up running basically a complete stint anyway. Um, and it was wild, you know, talk about Yas Marina not being exciting. Basically starting on lap 7, like 4th back to like 14. It was just a DRS train like the whole way through. And, you know, nobody can make any kind of overtakes under DRS even despite the fact that, you know, car performance should be different enough. It's just, you know, we all made fun of, you know, the Trilly train back in the early 2000s. It's like, well, Yasmarina and a couple of other circuits on the calendar give us that, but just you have DRS, not just a slow driver in a fast car. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I don't even, DRS even, like, as a concept is just, I don't know. I don't, I don't really like it, to be honest, but my opinions aside or my personal feelings about DRS aside, it, it is what it is, but I love the circuit being named Yas Marina though. I think that's so funny. Yeah, it is. It's very funny. Um, yeah. The, the I, place that it's on is called Yas Island. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just to I me. And I guess it's works. Cause like the whole idea of this track and as the season finale and, you know, the light up hotel, it's all very extra. So it feels, uh, it feels very fitting. But yeah, I don't love DRS personally. Um, I know they did it back when we had a couple real snoozers of seasons. The idea was meant to spice up the racing, but it's just kind of... I don't see, I don't want to say like artificial overtakes because I feel like that's maybe a bit unfair. But, you know, the fact that, you know, you're within, um, you know, one second, you know, in the DRS detection zone and, you know, it opens up the rear wing and, you know, you go fast. Now, interestingly enough, as a combination, as the sensors get better, but also, I mean, the Red Bulls aside, um, the field has definitely closed up a bit. So, you know, those hundredths, you know, you know, hell, those thousands, I think are a bit more crucial now because we've seen a number of times where just at a, the corner right before or the section just after the DRS detection zone, they may have been within range, but right in that crucial part. They weren't and didn't get it, um, which I thought was interesting. But but yeah, no, I agree. DRS, I think, kind of sucks. Um, honestly, the push-to-pass system that IndyCar uses, I think, is so, so, so much better. But um, 
But yep, now I had, like I said, big DRS train, just Yas Marina things. Um, welcome. Enjoy your stay. But um, yeah, Lewis and uh, Pierre would um, come together on lap 15, getting coming off. It was the breaking zone in uh, coming off the straight. And that would result in uh, mild damage for the pair of them. Um, Pierre just, well, he lost the stacks of pay time, and it's not unreasonable to assume that the rear diffuser got a bit damaged and all of that. And well, you could very obviously see where Lewis had broken his front wing. Now, Mercedes didn't elect to fix it. Um, I guess uh, figuring that was too much time wasted, but yeah, just, well, it's, Pierre had a lockup in the braking zone, and Lewis couldn't, basically couldn't adjust quickly enough. And it was just oddly, it was a very clumsy incident. Now, you know, nobody really at fault. This kind of stuff happens, but it's just like, ugh. And then, you know, Pierre was raging on the radio about it. It's like, dude, you locked up. That's. I feel like he does that. It might be like him being like French, like in how French people are always rioting and like angry about certain things, which I'm like, I totally get it. Uh, maybe like I feel like he's done that a lot this season. Mm -hmm. I would agree. Um, I think so too. I you know why I you know again I'm not gonna psychoanalyze the guy. So you know why I mean whatever. But but yes, he is a uh, very chatty and he complains a fair bit on the radio about uh, everything. Because actually he got upset that uh, they basically undercut it. Uh, they undercut him by uh, stopping Akon first. He was very grumpy about that. And now, granted, those two have a bit of a history. But, and that could well have been part of it. But, yes, he was very grumpy, and his race engineer basically just told him to shut up and drive a car. <laughs> I live for that, honestly. Like, maybe, because sometimes I'm not going to, like, act like, okay, drivers don't have the right to complain about whatever's going on with their car but sometimes i feel like they just complain to complain like in this this is like a thing across like all series sometimes like you'll just there'll just be times where it's like i don't think there's really anything wrong with their car it's just they're not doing as well as they want to do and they're like they need to find some way to, i guess to excuse it or be like 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 basically just like make an excuse in their mind or whatever i don't know how how else to describe this but it's like i feel like that is something that's been happening across multiple different racing series and it does and it's like sometimes i just feel like yeah maybe their engineers just need to tell them there's nothing wrong you just need to drive the car mm -hmm. yeah well i mean you're absolutely right um you know, now I wish more series were more like kind of F1 in the way that, you know, they'll beg that the race engineers will basically say, you know, be quiet. Everything is fine. Drive the car. And I think that's great. Um, you know, you don't get it because, you know, NASCAR, pretty much the most you'll get is, you know, you know, spotter or crew chief will just go basically go 10-4 and just not respond. Um, although, interestingly enough, um, when Denny thought he had a loose wheel, um, his uh Crew chief did say uh, it's fine, you know, be quiet and drive the car. And then, of course, he pit and, you know, cost himself a bunch of track position after they went and looked at the car and verified that it was perfectly fine. But that is the closest. Actually, that's not true. James Small and uh, Truex, the way they talk to each other on the radio is like 
you know, monk ass. It's kind of ridiculous listening to those two uh, go back and forth. Um, the yeah, same I... thing happened like with Max. I think like even last season, there are so many moments where I guess he was complaining about something on the car and his engineer was just basically like, Max, there's nothing wrong. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, Max's engineer, uh, Jean-Pierre Lambrese. Uh, dude is hilarious. I live for their radio communications um, because Max was getting into a bit of a tizzy. It might have been at Monaco. I think it was at Monaco. And what could same... there possibly be to argue about with Monaco, especially with F1? F1 can barely put on a good race there. There's nothing that happens in the whole entire race. Like I was really, the other day watching a Formula E race at Monaco, and there was like three times as many as, as much action in a Formula E race at Monaco than there is Formula One race. What could you possibly complain about with Monaco other than the fact that you can't pass anybody, which has less to do with the the engineering of your car and the fact that the cars are just so fucking big that they take up all the space on the street and you can't overtake. Yeah, I completely agree. I don't remember what the context was anymore, but I seem to think that Max was in a very foul mood during Monaco and GP had basically just had enough and was like, okay, you need to shut up and drive the car. And it was, it was fantastic. I loved it. Um, GP, you know, certainly personality-wise, is probably my favorite race engineer of the group at the moment. But, but yeah, no, it is. I I love the communications. Um, I think it's uh, it's great. Um, and especially you know at an all French uh, team like Alpine, where it's like they're just getting mad at each other, and it just escalates, and it's so great. But um, but yeah, no, Pierre would yeah. So you know, he would get damaged. He would get grumpy about it. Um. Then uh, Lando actually had kind of a slow stop due just because of a, a sticky um, wheel tire assembly. It was the uh, rear left. And, you know, we talk about, you know, Mercedes having crummy stops all the time. Yeah, well, this was one of them because it was like a five and change second stop, which is um, very slow. Uh, even though McLaren actually was the fastest pit team this season, I, they ran like a 1.8 second stop somewhere. I don't should have probably gone to go look at where that was um and i didn't but that is wild to see stops that fast and then to have a 5.1 but and it cost big time because uh, uh george russell pit at the same time and it allowed him to jump because lando on track had been uh, a couple places up on george but he lost all of that um but funny thing is actually throughout all of the sequence of stops, because um, Yuki was effectively running a one-stop strategy, and um, he led the Grand Prix for a good bit during that first pit cycle. Um, the cars were, the Alpha Tires were quick. Um, you know, Danny, uh, Danny Ricardo wouldn't finish quite as high, but he had a tear-off from a helmet get stuck in uh, one of his brake ducts, and they had to pit to get it out. And so that kind of jacked up his race. But certainly if Yuki was anything to go by, you know, they could have been on for, you know, double points. But, you know, so it goes. But in speaking of which, I would like to talk about it because Danny pitted for, um, it was like lap eight or lap nine. I broadcast didn't really talk about it. And reading even the lap by lap report wasn't super specific. How on earth do you have, do you need to 
do a visor tear off that soon in a, a Grand Prix. I that's just curious. And then uh, also the random. I mean, it is a desert. Random yeah. dust collected on it, I guess. Yeah, I guess that's fair enough. But also, and Martin Brundle, he talked about it, and it is, I think, the one thing that Martin was actually correct about, because you know, Lord knows that man has lots rare of Martin Brundle W. Yeah, has lots of bad opinions. Yes, I think so. Anyway, but he talked about certainly back in the old days how the visor tear offs basically you kept them in the car until the end of the race, as opposed to well discarding mm -hmm. them outside, which is what they do now. And honestly. That's probably not a bad idea to go back to that. I don't know why they stopped in the first place. But but yeah, the discarding of tear-offs, it's, it's amazing that we don't have issues with them getting sucked into brake ducts more often, if I'm being perfectly honest. But it seems like... That's just by chance. Like, purely chance that that has not happened or has been as big of an issue. And it just now came up. Hmm. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's wild. But yeah, honestly, keeping them in the car is, you know, until the end of the Grand Prix is probably the way to do it, to be honest. So no, I think he was, like I said, I think that is indeed a rare Martin Brundle dub because everything else he says is stupid. Um, but um, despite Yuki finishing uh, P8, um, it wasn't enough. And they had actually been closing. They still couldn't pit. Um, Alf, uh, Williams for uh, P7 and the constructors. I didn't look at the final tally, but they were pretty close. And again, I think double points would have actually pushed them over the edge. But Williams would cling on to that spot after having a just forgettable weekend. You know, we had talked about Alex dragging that Williams to, you know, you know, regularly points paying uh, finishes. And even the fact that Logan had been improving, they finished P14 and P17, just a, like it's a miserable weekend for them just all around, unfortunately. Um, you know, I know that it got a little bit dicey at the start because Logan and actually might have been Logan and Gasly that actually had uh, a bit of uh, bumping at the start and so much so that there was um, the stewards were investigating that. But, but yeah, but those cars, they were just, like I said, just dog slow this weekend, which is unfortunate. But I mean, I feel like Williams has mostly been kind of slow. I mean, fast for them is probably like mid pack, honestly. Mm -hmm. You know, you're exactly High mid pack. Right. Mm -hmm. Nope, you are completely correct. Um, yeah, their best finishes are usually, you know, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth, kind of that general area. That's a good day for them. Um, you know, we're well past, you know, the dark days of, you know, 2018, 2019, where that car was just miserably slow. Um, you know, so slow, you know, basically you they were going to finish, you know, dead last, you know, 19th, 20th every weekend. Um, you know, we're well, this, we are much quicker than that. But, you know, Williams certainly has a very long way to go even have hopes of getting you know back towards the front of the field but you know funny enough like mclaren you know the development of this car has been genuinely promising and if they can keep this kind of momentum you know i mean p7 and the constructors i can't remember the last time you know it was probably 20 or 15 was probably the last time that they managed that 
because to be fair, the Williams at the start of the turbo hybrid era was quick, but when they did the white, basically what they call, you know, the white track regs, and I guess that was 17, it just completely killed the pace of that car. Um, but back to uh, 2023, um, you know, speaking of the fight, you know, kind of, I guess, you know, the best of the rest is now kind of P2 on back, but Ferrari versus Mercedes. Um, so Leclerc got a bit tactical at the end because Checo got a, a five second penalty for just running into Lando. And that was just the dumbest thing I've ever seen, honestly. You know, Lando tried to leave the door open because I think he knew that Checo was going to have a go and apexed late and Checo still ran into him. It's just it's like, dude, it's like you're fighting for your life in that team. You cannot be doing stuff like this. I mean, Checo is, he's fighting eviction is what he's fighting. Yes. And it's like, well, stuff like this, like I said, it doesn't help. And like I said, it earned him a five-second penalty because a lap or two later, he went and had to go at the same chicane and did the move successfully. Um, But Mercedes and... um. Ferrari were waging a battle for P2 in the Constructors' Championship. And it's so funny listening to the radio messages of what do I need to do to get, you know, Checo five seconds clear of Russell. And then you have Russell on the radio of where are we in, you know, the championship. And he's asking about Lewis. And it's the same thing, you know. Uh, George's race engineer basically just said, don't worry about it and drive the car. Um, you know, funny enough, Leclerc was running P2. He, I know he backed up to get Checo in DRS range. Checo overtook him and had started making a little bit of time, but it wasn't enough. Uh, the difference was 3.1 seconds, I do believe. No, it was 3.8, sorry. 3.8 seconds uh, by the end of the race. And, you know, Sergio with a five-second penalty, dropped him uh, off of uh, the podium and lost him some points, and Mercedes took it by three or four points they ended up getting p2 uh in the championship you know um you know russell finished third um lewis finished ninth um and science was just slow all day they tried to basically run it super long hoping for a safety car and so they ended up pitting on like the second to last lap uh to change tires they basically ran on hards and just hemorrhage time the whole time if i remember correctly um, you know, and it's funny, you know, right at the end, they didn't show it on the broadcast, which was super disappointing, but, um, you know, Lewis, uh, actually made a run at, uh, Yuki coming out of turn 15. So like literally like the second to last corner before, uh, the straight, the start finish straight and just had a big slide and got all crossed up over it and didn't quite do it. But those last five laps, given how tactically basically everybody in the top 10 was playing for. Well, everybody, except for the Red Bulls, of course, for uh, constructors points. Um, just like I said, it was a real tactical game, and it was actually kind of fun. That It still wouldn't say it turned this into a good race, per se. But it was an interesting sort of race within a race, if you will, to kind of finish it off. I'm sitting here laughing because I'm seeing this last thing saying, because there was apparently teams were being investigated. I might've been after the race. I remember seeing like the posts about it because apparently there were pit crew members 
that were not wearing the correct safety gear. Oh, uh they would tell laughing. It to me that is just so funny because like how, like I don't how how does that happen? Like you can't even freaking go into a like class like a, a science lab unless you have like safety goggles and these people are at a freaking racetrack working on cars and everything else like yeah like how does this happen yeah it was so it was just shortly after the second set of stops there actually were um the messages you know the race control messages popping up on the dash uh on, on the broadcast sorry and you know and it said it was initially lewis and ghastly funny enough it said pit lane infractions, and it was like, okay, were they speeding by chance? And then there was some further clarification from race control about, well, no, it was actually due to pit crew members. And it's like, what? And even everybody on the broadcast was confused as hell about it. They were like, how? And then, um, was it, it might have actually been Verstappen. It was the same thing. It said, you know, uh, pit lane infringement. So, you know, from what I understand, those were the three teams. It sounds like it might have been potentially been more because from what I understand, post-race, all of the teams were basically hauled to the uh, steward's office to talk about it and to basically go over, you know, what you should be wearing and how you should be wearing it if you're in the pits. It makes me laugh because I'm thinking, I'm literally picturing in my mind that it's either some team members that are changing tires without gloves or they are wearing their helmets backwards or not wearing a helmet at all i mean i don't know what it was but i just i find it so funny that is so hilarious to me yeah it was initially speculated that it might have been surrounding gloves and goggles it was never formally confirmed what exactly the goof up was but yeah everybody got in trouble and it was thought that the teams might get fined for it i certainly haven't seen any uh posts published from formula one or the fia if that was the case but yeah it's just so dumb i mean like it's 2023 and you know we have seen you know it doesn't take much for you to potentially if you're not wearing the proper safety equipment to basically hurt yourself on the cars so why this is an issue it's like i don't know it's like i half expect it's like you know what you know next am i gonna see you know alpine you know they're gonna be you know smoking a cigarette around the car or something it's like that's half <laughs> what i expect to see going forward if it's like this is what you guys are doing it won't even be cigarettes it'll be vaping oh yeah absolutely yeah, actually, is McLaren still uh, sponsored by that vape shop? I have McLaren has so many sponsors now. I can't even keep track. Like they're they they came a long way because they I don't know if like 2018, 2019, their car was like blank. Like there was nothing on their car, no sponsors at all. And they went from that to like having like so many different sponsors. I'm like, I don't know. Like the main people I know that sponsor them is obviously like Google and like arrow but i don't know yeah i have to go back and look because i know at least for a time i know they were sponsored by some you know vape corporation as you know a way to basically you know it's not tobacco any money it, it was you know vaping money for a bit now it's just crypto but anyway um 
<clears throat> so, that's yeah, no. going well. That is going absolutely fantastic. Having crypto oh, yeah. sponsors. Yeah, the fact that half of them uh, have gone uh, belly up, it's it's great. Sports betting is going to be the next one. I can feel it. Probably. Because there's already, even like in NASCAR, there's the DraftKings uh, scheme. I think Bubba Wallace ran that at like Pocono or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Bubba's run uh, DraftKings. And actually, um, funny enough, um, uh, actually, the funny thing you want to talk about, Yahtzee, is actually Alfa Romeo, Stocky. They're both crypto and sports betting. They are literally the same thing. So I don't know if that's going to survive as um, Alpha reverts back to being sour for next year before Audi takes over. But, but you I know, guess we actually... really need a, another sponsor, though. We really, we need OnlyFans. We need more. We need OnlyFans to sponsor more race teams because that would just be so hilarious. Yeah, it absolutely would. I mean, they have, you know, metric truckloads of money um actually funny enough um uh, her name is uh, rebecca Busey. she does lots of off-road stuff and i follow her across socials and she does like i said she does genuinely neat stuff and um and since she's sponsored by the uh the team uh we're sponsored by the company rather um follow her on there and then there was a moto an american moto 1000 writer i can't remember what his name is but he is he's also sponsored by them and it's super funny to see to see that but that being said it's also kind of cool i think i would rather that than like crypto and sports betting i don't know if we can think piece that later at but. least you would know that only fans would is is stable like only fans of the sponsor would be far more stable and less volatile than a crypto sponsor yeah you are absolutely right and like i think uh, recently one of them that was sponsoring um i don't even know if they were sponsoring an F1 team, I could be remembering this all wrong, but I know one of them is like in like huge trouble now because they owe a lot of money mm -hmm. that they can't pay essentially because they, the whole company like blew up. I think mm -hmm. it was like FTX or something. Yeah, no, you are absolutely right. Uh, FTX, uh, well, FTX had their hands in a number of things. They, um, they had their names on sports arenas. They were sponsoring like NBA teams. Um, a number of high-profile celebrities did that Super Bowl advertisement a couple years ago. Um, and yeah, Mercedes was actually sponsored by FTX. Um, the uh, demo car that they tried it out for uh, Las Vegas, which was one of the old race cars, actually still had the FTX sponsor uh, stickers on it. Um, it was. Maybe we need to make that into an episode where we just go a bunch go over a bunch of like shady sponsors. Unless somebody's mm. already done that before. Somebody probably has. But that being said, there are so many that I could well, honestly, you know, you thought the uh, Las Vegas script was long. That one could be very long if we decide to sit through that chronologically going through uh bad sponsors, but that's a good idea for off season content. Like Rocket is one of them. Like mm -hmm. Rocket is like, oh my god. Yeah, I think Rocket. They, when they fell into obscurity, honestly, after mm -hmm. last year. Yep. Yep, Rocket. They were uh and they, they were, were sponsoring so many race, like rate they were sponsors in so many racing series too, like from IndyCar. They were in F1 at one point eventually. I think they were sponsoring Williams. Yep. They were in Formula E. It's mm -hmm. like they were everywhere. And I'm like, y'all were definitely cashing checks that you could not 
<laughs> you could not make up for. Yeah, absolutely. No, there are lots of rough ones. Um, then, uh, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, we know why, but Urakali on the Hasses, I mean, that was tied to uh, Mazaspin. But so we, you know, have that one. Um, then, you know, certainly if you want to go further back, it's like Onyx, which was this whole, you know, which they were sponsored. Uh, well, actually, it was their team owner, uh, Jean-Pierre Van Rossum. He actually he died in 2020. But, you know, the Moneytron supercomputer thing, which is basically, you know, same thing. It was basically crypto nonsense before crypto nonsense was really a thing. You know, infinite money, you know, guaranteed returns, you know, you will make, you know, you will be richer than God, basically. And it was nonsense. And then he got busted by Interpol in the early 90s, if I remember correctly. But yeah, honestly, it sounds like we might need to do a sort of through the years episode of crummy sponsors at some point. So yeah, stay tuned for that. But but um, but yes, so it, it leads actually nicely into, uh, you know, season recap. Um, so I guess, you know, we usually start out with best race and worst race. Um, so for me, best race, once the race actually, you know, fr functioned, worked, was actually Las Vegas. The racing at Las Vegas was, was very good. Just full stop. You had basically racing at the front, in the middle, in the back. You know, I mean, don't get me wrong, you know, the issues with the track and the lead up, it's all a very good meme and deservedly so. But the actual on track product was really, really good. Um, you know, and as for my worst race, well, Monaco, there's always Monaco, truth be told. But that being said, I don't really love Bahrain either, but I still think Monaco is worse because it's a parking lot and even qualifying is not fun anymore. Yeah, so for me, I would definitely say Vegas. I thought Vegas was pleasantly surprising as a race. I mean, I was expecting it to be completely awful, but it wasn't. And I'm like, okay. Despite all the, the bullshit that was leading up to the race, it turned out fine, at least. For worst race, for me, it's almost like, I'm going to say like a three-way tie between Miami yeah. Monaco, of course, and Qatar. Like, Qatar, I guess I would say, like, you know, there's plenty of action, I guess I could say. I'm just saying, like, honestly, it was just not that good of a race just because just how much, like, stuff the drivers went through, like, physically. And I'm like, okay, maybe this is, like, not that great. Um, Miami... Miami is just not good at all. No, like, Miami's honestly, pretty trash. I would be perfectly fine if they just dropped Miami off the schedule and just kept there being two Grand Prix in the U.S. just being Coda in Las Vegas. It is Las Vegas is again as much bullshit as there is that surrounds that race. The racing is far better. Like the racing product is far better than what Miami could ever fucking produce. So I would be perfectly fine if Miami just dropped off the face of the earth. It's honestly just, I hate it. And Monaco is Monaco. It's like that every year. So honestly, I can't even say that I am shocked because that's how it is all the time. Like it's 
everybody, like I, I've said this before, it'll be my whole timeline is lighting up. Literally everybody in their mama is talking about qualifying and how great it is and how, you know, exciting it is. Then comes the race crickets. Nobody ever says anything about the race. It is just complete silence. So I'm like, it's Monaco is Monaco really all the way. That's the only thing I can use to describe it. Yeah, but I completely. Say, I guess if I had to rank it, maybe I would say Miami first, Monaco second, then Qatar third. Yeah, I completely agree with that, actually. You know, out of the battle of the bad, uh, I would say Qatar's the battle least. of mid. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, I think Qatar is the least bad. But that's the thing. I don't really even think Monaco is completely, really all, even Quali, I don't really think is that great anymore. Um, you know, this year it was a little spicier because it rained all weekend. So the sessions but were a little... without the rain, it probably wouldn't have been lackluster. Yeah, I was just about to say it was a little bit better this year because, you know, it rained. But it's like years previous basically really since I guess kind of the last sort of reg, car regs, I don't really think Monaco qualifying has even been particularly fun anymore. They're just I think it's, big. it's because the F1 cars are just too big for the circuit mm -hmm. anymore. And it's like, there's no passing. There's no, again, no overtakes, nothing. Like, nothing goes on. It's basically just, the only thing great about Monaco is the aesthetics because it looks aesthetically pleasing to have F1 cars going up and down the streets and whatnot. But other than that, as a race, like as a race, it's it's complete shit. And everybody knows it. People know it. I feel like, and to be honest, I only put up with Monaco and even watch it just to complete my little package of Motorsports Christmas that day. I don't even really watch Monaco for like actually because i'm excited for the fucking race i watch it just because again to complete the put the bow on saying i i watch monaco the indy 500 and the coke 600 all in the same day even though the only race i really get excited for now is the indy 500 everything else i'm like don't really care could care less but that's my thoughts yeah i i completely agree um you know, yes, in truth be told, at the rate we're going, that you know, the modern F1 cars are going to need to do a three-point turn through Mirabeau uh, at the rate that we're going with how big that they get. But, no, like I said, I watch Monaco because, yes, Motorsport's Christmas, but, you know, I think, um, you know, certainly the Indy 500, I think, is the best product of the day um, because, good, sweet Jesus, NASCAR really needs to figure out um, – the package for the cup cars. It's just so bad. You know, intermediates are great, but super speedways are terrible. Um, short tracks usually aren't great. And road courses really aren't all that good either. These cars are just terrible. Um, I'll try and keep that rant to a minimum because Arthur and I screamed about it a lot through the last about seven races of the season over on the main pod. So you if know what? You really... Going back to Monaco, I feel like we might be, we just might be at least one or two generations of F1 cars away from having a 2017 Macau incident happen at Monaco. Because again, the cars are so big. They're huge. They're massive. And it's like you have one person that messes up one turn at Monaco. And again, it's Macau 2017 all over again. 
with F1 cars, which would probably be worse because I'm sure that's even more expensive than the millions of dollars of sports cars that happened there. No, I th I think you're right. Like I said, we're going to, like I said, we're going to need to do a three-point turn at Mirabeau. And it means if somebody goofs it up, then yeah, you're going to have just a pile up and it'll be really funny. But it'll be, uh, it'll be a real embarrassment for the sport. But uh, speaking of embarrassments so for the sport, well, Mazepin is gone, so he doesn't count anymore. But, you know, driver grades, you know, yay, nay, any, you know, positive surprises, any negative surprises? I was pleasantly you? surprised, honestly, with how Oscar Piastri did this season. Um, you know, I wasn't actually expecting him to do, like, too bad, just because, I mean, he did, I think he won the F2 championship, and I guess that should mean that you're a good driver, even though there have been other drivers who have won the F2 championship and have completely flopped when they got an F1. Nick DeVries. Don't know why that happened, but Oscar Piastri seems to be cut out for it, so good for him. Round of applause. I will give his season performance a solid B. Mm -hmm. I think that's fair. Um, you know, certainly surprises. Um, well, well, so I guess surprise for me is the fact that they even signed him in the first place, and I, I feel so bad, but it's DeVries. You know, don't get me wrong, he is a talented driver. He did win F2, you know, very fast in Formula E, because actually he's back with Mahindra, isn't he? He is. Yep. So, you know, he's a great driver, but Helm, if, if the stories are be to be believed, Helmet Marco basically wanted him on the premise of one race that he subbed in at a track where Williams is traditionally fast, and that is Monza. So, like, I don't really know what you expected. Like, there's a reason why Mercedes, even though he was within their sort of driver radar, um, their sort of satellite pool of talent, why they never gave him the call. And again, like I said, none of this is to trash Nick DeVries. Let me be perfectly clear. You know, he's, like I said, he is still an accomplished driver. And by all accounts, he seems like he's actually a really nice guy. Um, but yeah, that was dumb. That was so dumb. So I guess the L is less Nick and more Helmet Marco. I mean, instance. somebody even brought up, like, earlier today, they made a tweet about, I think they were saying why, like, why didn't, like, Mercedes or, um, might have been AlphaTauri, why didn't they, instead of going with DeFreeze, give Stoffel Van Doren a chance? Which I'm like, that would probably make more sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. I never considered a Stoffel a waffle, but, you know, with a little bit more uh, careful consideration, honestly, that wouldn't have been a bad shout. Um, you know, now, interestingly, you know, I know for at least, again, this is, you know, mostly reporting and kind of reporting on rumor mill. So, you know, take these with a few lunar-sized grains of salt. But, you know, from what I understand, Nick effectively bailed on the Mercedes, you know, like I said, again, their sort of driver talent pool, because he was basically hoping that if he could, you know, you know, thrash Yuki, then he could, you know, put Checo on the hot seat, um, which is interesting. Um, certainly, I like his confidence if that is indeed the case, but, 
You I know, mean, sound- is it confidence or is it delusion? Yeah, well, I guess potentially some combination thereof. But point being is that, well, it was a bold strategy, Cotton, and it did not pay off at all um, because he got, you know, sacked after 10 races. And then from what it sounds like, it sounds like basically from, well, what ended up being the aborted uh, Imola weekend onward, it sounds like Helmet Marco is pretty sick of him. So, you know, that's a shame. But as for positive surprises, yeah, definitely Oscar um, and Liam Lawson. Liam came in cold after uh, Ricardo broke his hand. And he was just fast. And I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, Liam, you know, spent the last little while in Super Formula, you know, which is ultra, ultra competitive. And so if you can hack it in Super Formula, you can probably hack it everywhere. But it was still wild to see him be as quick as he was, as fast as he was. And I know, I know Daniel Ricardo is a fan favorite, and I'm sorry, but honestly, I think Liam should have gotten that seat and not. Yeah, Daniel. you know what? Let's just rip the band-aid off because honestly, <laughs> I feel the same way. I feel like 110% AlphaTari, if they were not taking the fucking piss, they should have signed Lawson instead of Daniel Ricardo. I mean <sighs> Again, every I get it. Everybody likes him. He's a fan favorite. He does a lot like for like marketing F1 because he is a very personable figure. However, when it comes to his driving abilities, it's like again, if if I really want if I'm serious about being a serious team and being competitive, I would have went with Lawson. I mean, I think it's kind of a shame that he's a reserve driver again, but I mean, I don't know. And then having Lawson probably would have also helped them probably get some better results out of Yuki. I mean, he's doing decent so far, I would say, but that would probably push him to do a lot more because when you have somebody like Liam Lawson on the other side, it's like, yeah, you're going to have to, that's upping the antes a lot. Yeah, exactly. And that's, and you are exactly correct. Uh, when you know it was Nick, I mean Yuki had Nick's number like the whole time. Um, and then even with Daniel Ricardo, he's been you know the pace deficit is much smaller, but Yuki on average is still the faster driver over the course of you know five races, which is a grant. I accept that that is not a huge data pool, but whatever you make do. But when Liam was in the car, Liam was categorically quicker than Yuki. I think every race except for one. Can't remember which one that was, but and just again, on average, Liam was just quicker. And it really frankly, it kind of exposed Yuki. You know, I'm not I'm personally not gonna put Yuki on fraud watch quite yet, but Yuki needs to get it together i mean this is his third year third season fourth season in f1 he's been here for a little bit but because he regularly has well frankly not great teammates um it's allowed him i think to coast a little bit um and yes i think a faster driver would yes it would force him to get better because it would put him on the hot seat i mean to be honest i would do the same thing if my teammates mid and i can just essentially waffle around race after race and kind of, you know, 
get by with with the skin between my teeth and you know not really have to do much it, i would do it too yeah no i'm like i said i'm not mad you know minimal effort for maximum gains i'm not not mad about that at all but it's part of why i think uh Afatari has really been stagnant these last couple years but speaking of that rolls in actually really really nicely to team grades you know positive negatives um I'm going to give Mercedes a failing grade for flubbing the second season in a row. It's like, you know, I understand they've got their inner targets, but, you know, Lewis clearly knew what was up before they did. Because, you know, even going so far to have said that he suggested where to move the car in the aero concept. And they just didn't listen. And then this car was a dog. And now they had to, well, they had to pay for it. So. Mercedes just straight up F. I know they finished P2 in the championship, but F. You know, summer school for you. <laughs> summer school. I don't even know who I would. Honestly, I, I was going to be a little bit less harsh with Mercedes and just give them a D. A D is passing in some, 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 in some places it's passing. But honestly, their season was not that great. Mercedes being Mercedes is what I'm going to chalk it up to. Yeah, basically, like I said, you know, they got P2, and, you know, certainly on paper, that is good. But like I said, you know, I don't think it was on pace. I think it was just through circumstance, you know, ergo, you know, somebody in a faster car did something stupid. And in this instance, it was that Ferrari usually Ferrari'd. And that was what, how Mercedes was able to profit is just because, well, they, they may be bad, but they aren't Ferrari bad. Um. And as for certainly positive surprises, it's probably McLaren because the start of the season was horrid. Um, I think both Lando and Oscar, I think, ended up retiring at um, at uh, Bahrain, if I remember correctly. Or was that Bahrain or was that Jeddah? I can't remember which. But, you know, they ended up retiring um, early in the season. Um and the car was just horrible. But like I said, the pad, the upgrades that they brought for Silverstone is just great. And the car has been fast ever since. I mean, at you least know. their upgrades seem to actually do something. I mean, Mercedes, they will talk about every other weekend. It seemed like, oh, we're going to have upgrades to the car. We're going to have some upgrades. And it's like, do the upgrades do anything? No. Possibly not. Because it seemed <laughs> like they talked about those upgrades so much and nothing seemed to happen. Yeah, upgrades for Silverstone, upgrades for Monza, and upgrades. There are a couple more because I think I ended up introducing like four different package upgrade packages for that car. And yeah, it just didn't do anything. That was consistently uh, basically between third and, well, actually really like fourth and like eighth place car, depending on the circuit and the weekend. And that was pretty much where it was to start the season. You know, granted, yes, you know, some teams actually made some forward progress, which does disrupt that data plot a little bit. But, yeah, it was not great. Um, Another but, team I will give a grade to is Ashton Martin. Oh. I will give them a C plus. Okay. Why? The beginning of the season, they were, it was, there was some potential. Mm -hmm. and, and throughout most of the season, there seemed to be potential as well. However... Seemed like they just, for whatever reason, it just slowly just started teetering off 
I don't mm-hmm. know what happened there. I think you, I think we mentioned this before we talked about this before. Might have been like something that happened with Silverstone. They changed something at Silverstone. And then since then, again, teetered off. So I'm like, again, was looking, they were looking kind of racy um, towards the beginning of the season, most of the season up until like the end. So C plus for them. Yeah, no, um, you know, so yes, you know, we did briefly mention this, um, I think after the Mexico City, uh, the Mexico Bahrain sort of double, double header race uh, episode that we did. But the TLDR of that was that, yes, they made some tweaks to the uh, the floor and it completely borked the aero balance of the car. Um, but yeah, no, because to start the season, they were second quickest car, third quickest car in the grid you know, sort of trading blows with Ferrari, you know, and everybody was talking about, okay, well, when is Fernando Alonso going to get a race win? It felt like it was inevitable the first, you know, five races, six races of the season. And then, yeah, the car just got slow, you know, outpaced in development. And then they just, like I said, then they just goofed up the upgrades and it really killed the car. And then, you know, certainly from a, broader constructors championship uh sort of broader championship implications uh well lance stroll is on that team and that's never going to get you very far like at all actually no it's not yeah and that's this is the frustrating part is is where the where lance stroll because when uh had bria on after coda and we talked about it a bit where Lance tends to be quick in sort of changeable weather. And he's really good at like the tire management stuff. He would be killer in sports cars. And I really wish they would basically release him so he could do the Valkyrie hypercar program. That would be so cool. But because both he and his father are absolutely hellbent on um, Formula One, he just basically sits and frankly wastes a seat you know fernando is you know he's getting old and you know fernando alonso well frankly fernando is a messy bitch, but he's not the problem in this instance unusually that's what i think i still think lance troll that's what you're you already said it i'm like i truthfully feel like he should just go join ashton martin on the sports car side and join their valkyrie lineup for their assault in the world endurance championship eventually when they join it but oh well yeah yeah basically but which is like i said it's a bummer but whatever but i guess speaking of driver market stuff we have finally have the final seat was either yesterday or this morning it was confirmed logan is staying with williams for 2024 you know we talked about it we felt like it would be super stupid for them to drop Logan after a single season it's not been a great year but I mean it wasn't but at the same time it's like again it just feels kind of weird for them especially considering the fact that he is again their development driver they Mm -hmm. invested a lot of time and money into him and it would just be kind of weird for them to just drop him all of a sudden because to essentially drop a rookie because they did rookie things like Mm -hmm his season he's a rookie it's it it went bad be probably because of that i mean not everybody is going to jump into racing series and have just a breakout year 
in their rookie season. There have been plenty of people, plenty of drivers who have a rookie season and it's mid, it's forgettable, and that's okay. Yeah, unfor- you know, and I think we talked about it a little bit at the time when, you know, some of the silly season stuff was getting underway and the rumor mill was intensifying that Logan might get dropped. But, you know, I maintain that I feel like, you know, and don't get me wrong, you know, certainly if you pay attention to my socials, I adore Lewis, but I feel like he really broke sort of the concept, the standards for what a rookie really should be and what should be expected of a rookie. I mean, he went out and won a title in his first year. And now it feels like basically since then, it feels like it is expected that basically every rookie is going to go and do the same thing. It's like the fact that, you know, Oscar has been as quick as he is, but, you know, for some folks, it still hasn't been enough. And it's like, how? It's like, dude, is qualifying, you know, high. And basically, the only time he didn't do all that well was because either it was, you know, because Formula 2 and Formula 1 schedule is not the same. So there were a few tracks he just hadn't been to. Or, you know, it was just where the McLaren was slow. It's like, but Oscar had a very successful season by basically every other metric. But yeah, like I said, it feels like Lewis really broke that scale for what rookies should be. It could be that, like, I definitely feel like um, because Lewis came in and was already winning off the bat as a rookie, and that kind of sets the bar really high. It also was something, Some this was something that somebody else mentioned on Twitter, how essentially, like, the, the quality of F1 rookies has kind of gone down. And some of that is due to the fact that there's not a lot, there's not a whole lot of preparation that rookies are put through before like they are before the season starts essentially there's not a whole lot of testing and you know making sure things are okay with them like IndyCar drivers are put put through more testing like IndyCar rookies are put through a lot more testing and preparation than F1 rookies are I feel like you could make that argument which is like that's probably why that some rookies are just not that great because it's like, well, what the f- do you expect them to do? You didn't prep them in any way, shape, or form, or you didn't take enough time to prep them, and then you put them season starts and they start off on the wrong foot or they, you know, kind of flop throughout the season. It's like, well, what do you expect to happen? Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, the fact that we don't exist in, you know, the era of, um, you know, loads and loads and loads of testing anymore. You know, testing is actually pretty restricted. You get the few days at a uh, few days at Silverstone, a bit at Bahrain, and then there's some indices and testing that's actually taking place uh, as we record this at uh, Yas Marina right now. But that's basically it. Um, and you know, some F1 prospects that get you know the idea, the ability to do like FP1 usually will last you know a few races of the season. They'll do a bit of that, but like I said, that is basically it. Um, you know, this is not the days where, you know, Alan Prost was grumbling about the fact that he was running, you know, tens of thousands of kilometers of testing while, you know, Ayrton Senna was on a beach in Brazil somewhere. You know, those days are long gone. Or the days when, you know, Michael Schumacher in the early 2000s did like 40,000, 50,000 kilometers of testing during uh, the winter in, uh, what was that, 2000? I do believe 
was that year that they did a stupid amount of testing. Um, yeah, th those days are long gone. F1 is super restrictive. And yes, that doesn't help because it means the drivers don't, the young, the rookies don't get a ton of seat time. Uh, but speaking of which, there are no rookies this year. Basically, everybody stays put. Which is yeah, kind of wild. 2024 is the season um, where things are going to have the huge shakeup. Unless most of these people end up getting extensions on their contracts. Because it seems to me, from what I've looked at on the little graphic thing, is that most people's contracts are through 2024 or 2025. And then some people's are beyond that. But a vast majority of the grid, their contract supposed to end in 2024. Mm -hmm. So that could be interesting. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I do. I find that, like I said, just absolutely fascinating. I don't remember the last time that the grid, like I said, basically just stayed put. Because, you know, you get some shuffling where, you know, the drivers you know may not change too much, but they'll go to other teams. But just nobody moved this year. And like I said, that's that's kind of wild. So, you know, it'll, yeah, like you said, it'll probably be as, you know, the start of the shakeup is going to happen next year and then throughout the next, you know, couple years after that. They're going to see big, um, big movements either in or out. Um, but yeah, no, that's like I said, it's just that's super interesting. Um, but in, you know, and speaking of these kind of shakeups and moves, you know, Alpha Romeo Sauber is gone. It's just back to being Sauber for the year. Um, you know, certainly the deliveries of the Alphas were always very, very pretty. So that'll be kind of a bummer to see uh those gone but uh yeah peter sauber's name is officially back on the car so you know we'll see i know there's lots of talk about audi maybe getting cold feet on the f1 project and it's like what's going to happen to sauber if that ends up being the case because it feels like they've kind of bankrolled their future on this audi deal who knows Another thing that's happening apparently is there's a rebrand with AlphaTauri. They are now oh yeah they're no longer being AlphaTauri. They're no longer AlphaTauri next season, and they're now going to be the Racing Bulls. I think. Oh, okay, is that uh, confirmed? I know I had seen a leak of it about a month ago. Well, I say leak again, you know, at large air quotes there, but but yeah, I had seen that and didn't know if they had um. If that had been confirmed, which if that's the case, that's such a stupid name. Like it, honest, it honest feels very point. much like video game. Like it doesn't really seem real. No, it doesn't. It feels like yeah, they should just bring back Toro Rosso. That was so much better. Yeah, Toro Rosso was great. Um, you know, especially you know, basically Red Bull and Italian and perfect, given that they're in the old Minardi facility in a Faenza. No, it was great. And then, you know, the whole AlphaTauri for apparently a clothing brand that I'm not sure ever really existed. I think it exists. Does it actually, though? It's yeah, it does. Of, I mean, it's kind of one of those bear shits in the woods things, you know. If nobody's <laughs> there to see it, did it actually happen? I mean, I saw they, they had their drivers, like, modeling AlphaTauri clothing at, like, the beginning of the season. I not sure I mean, that I don't know the drivers it's like Come a on. pyramid scheme per se or like an MLM like it's well, not okay I don't real think at all like I think it's legit yeah I don't think it's that bad but that's the only capacity that I have ever seen AlphaTauri has been related to the F1 team I've never seen AlphaTauri clothing and I'm you know I mean I don't know if you go and like look at like AlphaTauri like I mean there's a website 
that has their clothing and stuff on it. Do they only sell online? You know, granted, I don't do a ton of, you know, no like, idea. I don't do a ton of, like, in-store shopping, to be fair, much these I days. I think they do I'm, have an actual store. I was like, do they have outlets? Do they, you know, sell, do they supply to, you know, clothing chains? Because, like I said, I'm kind of into clothes and fashion. Um, in fact, actually, the jacket that's, I have an Alpha Industries jacket on the back of this chair. Um, that I bought myself actually for Christmas last year. But yeah, I'm like, I don't really ever see it. Kind of feels like, you know, rich energy. You know, technically it was a thing that existed, but good luck getting your hands on one on a can. Speaking of which, I should actually go see if there are like cases available on Amazon. I feel like that could be really funny to buy that. I know the meme is kind of dead, but that would be it's probably not even good. From everything I heard, it wasn't. But again, for the for the the giggles, I feel like it might be worth it if it's cheap enough. Anyway, because I'm not spending a hundred dollars on a case of rich energy. That's stupid. But anyhow, um, but yeah, no, Alphatari kind of felt the similar. You know, oh, it's this clothing brand that we want to promote and turn attention to. But again, other than you know, Pierre and you know Yuki and what have you, it never really felt like. They, it felt like that was it. And it just, like I said, it doesn't make sense to me, you know. But whatever. You know, racing bulls, fine. It's stupid. Kind of like Alpha Tauri was, but I guess it's par for the course. Um, like I said, they really should have just, you, you were absolutely right when you said they just should have left it uh, Tara Rasa, because that was great. And, you know, and the fact that they had it as kind of inverted colors of the Red Bull can, it was, it, like I said, it was really, really neat. And it feels like a missed opportunity. I don't, I don't know, no. But it feels like it feels like a fictional racing team on like grid. the The grid racing games is what it feels like. It feels like they would be the main competitors for Raven West, which prime grid lore for anybody who plays those games. But anyway, um, <laughs> that's what it is. If it, it sounds like so, you know, if that's what ends up being the case, that is very bad but well just another crummy uh formula one rebrand but but anyway uh there has been quite a bit of mucking about this episode good lord um but um that will wrap up the uh certainly the season one recap you know i will be working on some fun kind of long long form stuff uh kind of like vegas uh in the f1 off season uh you know any silly season updates that are worth covering um we will cover um but truth be told there's really not much left not unless there's news on like andretti cadillac or whatever but that's a that whole saga is one continuous rolling car crash so we'll see what happens there but but yeah that's certainly about all i got um you got any uh parting thoughts for us uh before we conclude no i don't think so well in which case it has been a pleasure recording. Uh, we will catch you in the next uh, episode. Until next time, y'all. Peace.